This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to WTS Waikato, a radio show and podcast taking a look at the stories of the diverse people, groups and interests in the region. I'm producer Gary Farrow. Pokeahua is a piece of land near Narawahia which is sacred to local hapu, Ngātai Tamainupo and mana whenua. It contains rua, food pits, that are of great cultural and historical significance. But it's all threatened by a proposed subdivision. So a group going by the name Protect Pukiahua is occupying the site. They have also just launched an ambitious crowdfunding campaign to work towards buying the land. Kimai Huirama welcomed me to Pukiahua to hear the piece of land's story. So koki mai huirama, toku ingoa. And yeah, it's awesome to have you come in and see firsthand, I guess. Um, you know, maybe walk the whenua if you're happy to go out and make sure we get a dry spot. Just go and see a bit of the whenua. That sounds good. Sounds yeah. good. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've got, I think the water's hot on the pot if you would like a cup of tea. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah that would really? be nice. Thanks. Nice. Thank okay. you. Yeah, cool. so what would you like? I'll, I'll take you through and have a look at the kitchen here. So yep. this was um, a shed that was kind of a, abandoned, and um, I think we were in a tent down the other end, oh, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Winter was upon us, so. So what would you like, actually? Uh, just coffee, thanks. Have just we got coffee. a dash of yes, coffee? we have just got coffee. I'm trying to look at where our have gone. <laughs> All good. Yeah, but... But yes, this is a very homely place, isn't it? <laughs> it is, but we um, have Kano that come in and um, I never can remember where everything's gone. Because <laughs> they have little cleanups. Yeah. Yeah, so how long have you been following the campaign? Um, the last couple of years, really. Oh, yeah. awesome. Been following it as it's been progressing along. And this is the most vivid um, look I've seen at it. We're back and right onto the subdivision there. Oh. It's right there. It's right there. It's right yeah. on the doorstep. So stages one to five. Stages one to five, and this was to be number six. Mm. Yeah. It probably was... was it, it was actually a few years ago when we look back at the, the timeline. So indirectly involved since 2009 uh, with Pukiahua and this, you know, just developments happening around the and, and that was, of course, before all this took off. But my dad, who's a kaumatua for, for the hapu, um, my uncles, his brothers, they're really, they were really quite active in the space to make sure that the narrative of Pukiahua was uh, maintained and preserved. So uh, they, there was a project called the Pukiahua Project, Pal- and they were doing the Palisades just up on. Have you seen Pukiahua behind me on the the par, the par yeah. site? Or, or for us, we would say it was probably a marae, marae yes. atia, uh, because you know because of its location, because of what they found um, up there, it would 
indicate that when there were really special occasions, formal occasions, it would have taken place mm -hmm. um, up there. But of course, to sustain a thriving community, the pa would have been papa kainga to live in, marakai to grow our food. Um, you know, Fariwan, well, probably the Fariwananga would have been up on the up there as well. Um, but you know, it would have been a, like a village, you know, a whole community. And so, while the the tip of the iceberg, <laughs> the the um, marae part has been preserved, there wasn't that same protection around the surrounding areas. Um, so, two thousand and nine, they had asked the Tūranga Waiwai Komatua. Oh, we're doing these palisades and carvings up um, on Pukiahua. Can uh, and the council had asked this Tūranga Waiwai Komatua, who was like a, the king's speaker. Um, oh, can we get sign off? And he said, Oh, we've got to make sure we're talking to the right people. Uh, and we and he was really good friends with my dad. So, and the understanding there is that this past site is 300 years old, but Tūranga Waiwai is only 100 years old. And Kingitanga uh, itself is, in, is maybe 150 years old. So, uh, so what he did is he called the different hapu that had an association with this area together. And um, he said, look, we need to know who the mana whenua is of Pukiahua. Um, and even though it was initiated by the council, they um, did it within the mana whenua space through tikanga. So they brought the komatua reps from each hapu together. They talked to whakapapa. And um, then they had another hui. And it was decided that when they looked at the signage to talk about the narrative of Pukiahua, they would go to my dad um, because it had been... I guess, I guess verified, validated by the other hapu that, okay, it's, you know, your story to tell. Um, there was recognition that there was connections and relationships between the other hapu and, and they had a mana whenua connection as well. But in terms of the narrative, um, my dad was the one who wrote the signage stuff. So that was back in 2009. And then in 2016, we noticed... Oh, these buildings, you know, stage one had started, and one of my cousins, who's, you know, had worked at the council, had said, "Oh, cousin, they're starting a build down there," and um, so we had put in a letter to the council saying, "Pukiahua Pa is a site of significance for the hapu, and um, we want to be at the table when decisions are being made in relation to it." So. They acknowledged that, and about, I don't know, if I'm going to estimate 50 metres that, that way is a water tank that's just on the other side of the um, railway tracks. And they said, okay, so we sent the letter January 2016, and in February 2016, we were on site as one of two mana whenua groups, Tūranga Waiwai and us, consulting around the water tank. And we thought, oh, well, this is good, you know, we want to be involved. Uh, However, two months later, when they rezoned this area from rural to residential, not a word from council. So unbeknown to us, you know, it had triggered some sort of process where, you know, it's now ripe for, for um, housing. 
And for us, there'd been a level of protection for the rua prior to that when it was rural. So every time the previous owner had tried to fill in the rua, we'd ring up Heritage NZ and say, he's filling in those rua, and um, they would send him a letter. So for us, they had a, even though we couldn't have a relationship with the rua because it was, we couldn't go on, the whenua, uh, we could protect it to a degree. But, you know, for us, the rezoning, the plan change 17 changed that. And we, it was only good en- we were only good enough to consult around a water tank, but not good enough to talk about quite a important decision for us, uh, given that out of all the stages, this is the one that's pretty much on the doorstep mm. of um, the marae. So, so at that point there, I was um, the secretary of our marae, and um, our marae committee put forward that letter. So I had written that letter in January 2016. And then as it, you know, this is all voluntary mahi aroha for us, life continues. And we had numerous exchanges of emails. We thought we were at the table for important decisions, um, to be consulted with about important decisions. And then um, nearly, well, that was January 2016, September 2017, we saw more building more happening. Mm-hmm. We thought, what the heck? So, um, again, I was the secretary, so my involvement has been always in the admin part. And I said, what's going on? There's more building there. We've been waiting for, you know, 18 months um, to be recognised as having a a connection here. And now we see this going on. And uh, what they had said was, oh, apologies. It's taken this long for you, like 18 months plus for you to be put on a list that gets notified around consents and all of that. And let's be honest, it was as simple as a one-minute job to put us on an emailing list. I said, there's not like 19 groups here. There's two, us and Tūranga Waiwai. And so, um, and they they apologised and they said, and unfortunately the consent has already been approved for stages two to five. And um, So they were trying to argue that the system had got in their way effectively of considering your rights and your connection to this Absolutely. land. Absolutely. So we, we engage as mana whenua with the iwi liaison team, whoever that is. But the consents team hadn't, you know, hadn't got through to them. Um, and we've just got a you know, a paper trail of all these engagements. We think we're engaging with the council, but we're engaging with the iwi liaison part. We were doing MOU conversations, everything. But, you know, when push came to shove, the contents team didn't know about us. And so all of these decisions are starting to thing up. So they apologise. Unfortunately, the consent's already been approved, but you can come to the karakia and the blessing. So we turned up, we thought, what... And you're now on the list. You're now on this little email list there. And so we turned up to it, and we were at the blessing, and everybody assumed, oh, you were in the know. But no, we were just invited Mm. to the blessing. We weren't in the know. So then we get to October 2020. No, 2019. Stage 6 starts happening because they're looking at purchasing this um, piece, Mm. the developers. By then, um, our Hapu Trust has been established for about a year and a half. So, and, and it was weird because 
since 2016, we were pushing it from one of our Tamanipo Marae because all we saw was the equivalent of the other group is Tūranga Waiwai Marae. Mm. And um, we said, so like for like, but it's not like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then we get the pushback oh, the council doesn't want to have an MOU with the Marae. Mm. We deal with iwi and hapu. So then we had to come back. So we set up our hapu trust for other reasons by then. And so October 2019, I'm meeting on site for the first time in all the stages with the developer. And we had met down that end and said, those two big rua are significant. What can you do to protect them? And he said, oh, well, we can, you know, do signage and maybe a, a plaque. Mm. <laughs> we said, well, you know, that's not good enough. So we met three times toing and froing on site. And um, by this time, co- by the last visit, COVID had started happening. And it was about February. And he said, look, um, we've done the numbers. We can't save anything. Um, but can we have a letter of support? And I said, well, I've got a hui with the trust. And, and at that point there, I was now the, the chairperson of the trust. And I said, and um, I'll take back I'll take back all of our conversations and we'll discuss it. Mm-hmm. And we'll see if we'll do you a letter. And so I went back. And by that time, because, you know, a few months had gone by, by that time um, we'd done some research there's not tūrua the obvious ones we could see because we'd never been on on the whenua there's actually six or seven so, so this had been this had been basically a sacred piece of whenua that was um just respected and left to exist and and it was and we were conscious that you know um it wasn't the elderly owners um had farm tea for a few generations and so we you know we were respectfully staying on the fence lines having a look but as the conversations went we started getting um, more evidence and research around actually there's not two there's actually six um, six seven so um, so we sent the letter we agreed as a board note um, in terms of development and protection in six stages you have saved nothing in five stages we um, are going to stand our ground and say we want all seven protected. So I sent that letter before lockdown, and um, you've probably read through the bits, um, you know, how it panned out since then. So for us, the timeline has to go back. It could go back further than 2009, but, you know, what we're saying is that when you look at the, the actual timeline, um, yeah, we're, we're unhappy with the consultation, um, with us. We're aware that there's all these dynamics, all these processes, but that doesn't um, help us when we look at everything that's been destroyed and is still on the you know the radar to be destroyed. So that's a very long answer to mm, your yeah. question, but um, all I can say is that as a whānau uh, and my involvement there, it's always been trying to navigate this beast of a process and trying to... Um, do it in good faith but mm. it, you know that that has not really served us when you look at it and it sounds like the powers that be even are trying to feign that they are being swindled by the system and that is robbing from their ability to help 
your whanau? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've had the developer say to me, there's two victims here, us and you. If we knew it was a site of significance, we wouldn't have bought it, like, in lockdown. And I thought, three visits on site, numerous emails, mm, mm. Uh, an official letter from our trust, and mm. you're saying you don't know it's a site of significance. Mm. So was the, develop- was the developer sold the piece of land by the farming family that previously owned it? Yeah, yeah. and it was only finalised um, after all of that engagement with us and consultation. So, you know, I, I think they knew it was significant, but they didn't realise how resolute the mm. hapu were about it. That's what has surprised them. They mm. probably now would have thought, mm. <laughs> mm. Um, Yeah, so... So that's, that's kind of how it's panned out. Yeah. Mm. So what do you want to happen to this whenua and um, how, like how, how was it significant, this piece of um, whenua that we're on right now? So, so for us, if we go back um, 11, oh God, I'm trying to think how many generations, but many generations, um, you know, it's, it's, it's about whakapapa for us back to our, our tupuna uh, that you know because of the events that transpired there um, you know the narrative's still very much alive in the name of our town and the hakarimata it's been sort of for a bit of a bit of that timeline and I would say probably around um, land walls you know there's been a little bit of um, disconnection because you know, we were we were forced to flee from our from our whenua. Uh and so there's been some blurring of of details. So instead of a Ngati Tamainupo chief, it became a Waikato chief, which is quite generic, you know. And and so for us, it's been a bit of a reclamation around um, our narrative as descendants to say, you know, it's just like saying in English. English chief versus you know a so and so, and so for us it's been around reclamation for our future generations of descendants that you know it's this narrative and you've got a fucka papa link, uh, and in this idea that our tupuna uh, three hundred four hundred years ago were carrying out these kaitiaki practices and we we need to continue that you know we need to do that as well. Um, fishing, you know, getting sustenance from the awa, uh, utilising the awa, having, um, you know, a role of maintaining its modi. All of that happened when our tūpuna were alive, and it's our obligation as, as kaitiaki to continue that. So it's, it's understanding, um, you know, our link, and that is kaitiaki, we're not, we're born with obligations to continue that, so that the next generations can continue it, and so, um, while we started looking at the narrative, it's really about how we, how we put those, the narrative into action, and uh, continue, continue what they were doing in terms of sustaining the the community of course the community 300 years ago looked very different to what it does now but it's those the persistence of the values manakitanga kaitiakitanga and um yeah so it is a reclamation not just of the whenua uh 
but that is critical because we need to have that relationship mm. with the whenua to be able to enact kaitiakitanga. Waiting doesn't really help us advance our kaupapa and, and make it hapu-led, so we've been proactively always looking at uh, peacefully occupying but also coming up with solutions. And so the, the step to, uh, you know, launch our crowdfunding was was part of that and it had its risks but it was better than being in this kind of limbo you know the state of limbo where everyone's like who's going to outlast who you know we just didn't want to be um only just have this one area of our campaign normal whenua we also thought oh nothing's off the table unless it totally compromises our principles so there was a lot of conversations about what we would do and what we wouldn't um yeah so the council unfortunately i think they're either going to have to be required to through legal means um get on board in terms of a solution or required to because of public opinion Earlier on, to see our rua are basically, um, you know, right next to the main road. And so they were going to sort of make this un- this little bit here. And they were, it was probably about the size of the road it looked like when they showed us the plan. And they offered us that part as a sort of little strip strip which to us was like okay and because they wanted to get ahead and start building mm. and, and then your your space would double as green space for the benefit of the of the developer and, and, <laughs> and some of the, the the fear was it would just become this alleyway where people would dump their clippings over the over their back fence um you know we sort of had said how are we supposed to have a relationship with this you know, um, with the strip. So it was never on paper, but they sort of said verbally, oh, look, sell that to you for 780000 You don't have to pay us straight away. <laughs> and we were like, seven eighty, two point whatever, five million. It's still big money. And, um, you know, for us, wasn't actually about the money. It was about understanding that relationship. You know, how are children from this area going to come and visit these and... Yeah, it just, it, it just didn't make sense. The other thing we said is initially they said they couldn't save seven, it wouldn't be viable, but of course over months they made this uncomfortable plan for us which which felt a bit reactive and didn't do justice to whoever was going to have houses. And, you know, it was just a weird little plan and we said, no, we'll take the first offer, which was to um, have the whole lot. Mm. You know, buy back the land, get the land back um, through whatever means. You know, um, that would look. That and would look and like. there would be a lot of houses on here, a lot of sections which it would be chiselled up into. So uh, we're looking at a lot of money to buy this relatively um, modest-sized piece of land. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the original plan had thirty-nine homes. Right, on, yeah. On here and That's a lot of money. Yeah, that <laughs> 780000 you know, high-income housing. And our argument was, for who? You know, like, okay, we heard, you know, um, you're, de- you're denying families from here. And we're saying, well, 
but who are these homes for? We have families who have lived here um, for many generations that either have a whakapapa link to Pukiawa or have just got a link, you know, and that's Māori, Pākehā whānau, and what we said is we don't know many people in these first five stages, and if I can go into New World and not know people because I've lived here, you know, all my life, I wonder who they are. So Ngārawa here is a small community and we we know the families who have been here. Mm. So, and it's not to say we don't want more families here, but again, six stages, this is the six, five stages have mostly gone to people who um, it's their first time living here. So who is this for? Where's this stage here now is, is clearly for all of our community. It's a community space, uh, a public space. The hapu has no intention of fencing it off just for our own purposes. It was meant to bring to life um, the values that our tūpuna held 300 years ago um, by feeding people, you know, growing healthy, healing kai. So rongoa, medicinal gardens, community gardens and orchards, spaces uh, for parakuri and zero waste um, services, I guess. So we, we're talking already to Waikato Parakuri about what do we have in our community to, uh, you know, minimise organic waste going into our our landfill. So learning is a huge part of that. It's not just our our narrative. It's also about being good kaitiaki of the awa. We've got this awa here. We've got five stages. What is the human impact on the awa? And how can we do something to counteract that human impact by growing natives, by... Um, you know, looking at how we can get more of our native um, bird species um, coming back, um, education for the whole community, but not just education in a theoretical sense, but a practical sense. So we see it as a real um, active space, not just learning about the stories of the past, integrating them into what this looks like today. Um, not just learning about how our tupuna were conservationists or astronomers or um, gardeners, but actually putting that into action. Um, so we have a Give a Little page set up under Pukiyahua. Uh, we've got a pretty ambitious campaign, campaign, it's all or nothing, to raise a million dollars in six months. And that's really uh, providing a way that people can help directly and be contribute to this uh, beautiful vision that is not that has been put together not only by the hapu but uh, through various consultations we've had with the community and our most recent one last week was attended by about a hundred people in person as well as those online and more feedback was collected from the community to help help us shape the vision and get it right. So we're very much in this uh, space of making sure that we're listening and that we're incorporating hapu and community voice into it. Thanks to Kimai Huirama and Protect Pokiahua for being the subjects of this episode of WTS Waikato. 
For more information, check out their page on Facebook. You can also like this show on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance, and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.